Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book The Lucifer Effect, Understanding How Good People Turn Evil. In 1994 in Rwanda, nearly one million Tutsi people were killed in just three months. It was not hostile external forces that committed the crime, but rather their former neighbors and friends, the Hutus. With these circumstances, we can't help but ask what is it that planted the evil seeds in the hearts of the Hutus, and what was it that was able to make these otherwise simple civilians mercilessly butchers their compatriots? Such is the central question which Zimbardo tried to answer in the Lucifer effect, how exactly does a good person become evil? Lucifer, synonymous with Satan, once the light-bearer and God's favorite angel, was sent to hell due to his lust for power. Named after Lucifer, the book brings us through a series of cases displaying how vulnerable people become influenced by certain situations, and how we can all become fallen angels like Lucifer, from angels to devils. The Lucifer Effect was written by the famous American psychologist Philip Zimbardo, best known for leading the Stanford Prison Experiment in 1971. In 2004, Professor Zimbardo was an expert witness in the trial of the soldiers involved in the notorious abuse case at Abu Ghraib Prison. Seeing the similarities between the case of Abu Ghraib and the Stanford Prison Experiment, he decided to review the experiment 30 years later, recreating its details and revealing a series of psychological mechanisms showing how individuals are affected by situations. Zimbardo graduated from Yale University where he once taught, as well as at New York University, Columbia University, Stanford University and others. He eventually became a professor emeritus of psychology at Stanford University. Zimbardo also served as president of the American Psychological Association, and then as director of the Stanford Center on Interdisciplinary Policy, Education, and Research on Terrorism. Due to his outstanding contributions in the field of psychology research and teaching, the American Psychological Association awarded Professor Zimbardo the Ernest R. Hilgard Lifetime Achievement Award. In this bookie, we'll explain the book through three parts. First, we'll go over recognizing the power of situations by learning the details about the Stanford Prison Experiment and its results. Second, we'll analyze the root causes of the occurrence of situational evil. Finally, we'll explore how to resist the adverse influences of situations. To begin with, let's look at the first part, recognizing the power of situations by learning the details about the Stanford Prison Experiment and its results. Before we start, let's put forth a question, why did Professor Zimbardo want to do this experiment? After the Second World War, there were two views in American society on the question of what makes people go wrong. Most people see evil as an innate human trait that is unchanging and inherently solidified. This is called the essentialist conception. Another view holds that evil is not deep-rooted in human nature, but rather can change with the environment. This view is also called the incremental conception or situational conception. The confrontation between these two perspectives runs through our understanding of human nature. 
Professor Zimbardo argues that most people have overestimated the importance of essentialist conception. At the same time, the impact of situational factors on people is far too underestimated. The reason why people do bad things is mostly determined by the situation they are in, which means that people will change their behavior based on the power of the situation. To test this, Zimbardo conceived and created a simulated prison environment. He divided the subjects into groups of guards and prisoners, and then placed them in a simulated prison to see what changes would occur as they entered their new roles. So, in order to conduct the research, he published a recruitment ad for the experiment in a newspaper. Among numerous candidates who applied, 24 male university students who were physically healthy and mentally sane were selected. None of them had criminal records, nor violent tendencies. On the contrary, these young men generally represented the middle class and were well-educated. This guaranteed homogeneity among the students, and the prisoners and guards could even have exchanged identities at any time to continue the experiment. By tossing a coin after the selection, the 24 students were randomly assigned into two different groups, one for guards and one for prisoners. Thus, this prison experiment could now officially be launched. To more realistically simulate a real prison situation, Professor Zimbardo designed a cops and robbers scenario at the beginning of the experiment. He asked the local police to help arrest the students who played prisoners and send them blindfolded to the mock prison at Stanford, in order to keep them from knowing the real location. Upon arrival at the prison, the students were ordered to strip naked and were sprayed with a de-louser. After that, each of them received a smock with numbers on the front and back. On top of that, women's nylon stockings were used as their caps, as well as rubber clogs and locked chains on their ankles. All of these stood as reminders of their imprisonment. So this was the role of the prisoners. As for the students who played the guards, they were by comparison treated much better. The students who played guards wore guard uniforms and reflective sunglasses, and carried billy clubs borrowed from the police in order to look like real police officers. In such role-playing setting, the prisoners were required to address the guards as Mr. Correctional Officer and obey their directions. In this way, a sharp contrast between the two roles became apparent. One group held great power and represented authority, while the other were merely weak and helpless followers who could not disobey given orders. At the beginning of the experiment, the atmosphere in the simulated prison seemed to be relatively relaxed. Some prisoners even found the whole scenario to be quite interesting and did not take the guards' orders seriously. While the prisoners were still lax in discipline, laughing, and having fun, the guards had already entered their roles. To establish their authority, the guards began to torture the prisoners with various punishment methods, such as waking them up in the middle of the night to keep count of them and punish them with push-ups. If the prisoners were not obedient, the guards would punish them by forcing them to wash toilets, take away their blankets and mattresses, and lock them up in small dark rooms. In short, the punishment wouldn't end until you did as you were told. Hearing this, you may wonder where they learned to implement such punishment tactics, or whether the guards have prior training. It's however worth noting that no one had trained these volunteers to manage prisoners. Yet, the student guards did it as easily as if they had done the job before. 
being picked on or provoked by the guards, prisoners were often unable to sleep soundly. Some prisoners became too overwhelmed by the situation and tried to resist, such as refusing to obey orders, inciting rebellion, or going on hunger strikes. However, the guards always had a way to defeat such rebellions. For example, when some prisoners started to become rebellious, they would punish the other prisoners in response. In this way, the innocent prisoners would resent their fellow rebels, and the rebels' behavior would be tempered by the attitude of the innocent. Therefore, the prisoners were never able to form a united front of resistance, and the guards' authority was further consolidated. Over time, some of the prisoners displayed depression, anxiety, and rage. Therefore, five prisoners were released early, leaving only those who were indifferent, apathetic and exhausted. However, this did not stop the guards from abusing their power. On the contrary, they began to deal with the prisoners more intensely. For example, they would step on prisoners' backs as they did push-ups, or even ask prisoners to play a homoerotic game. By then, the experiment progressively got out of control. The guards became brutal, and the prisoners gradually experienced mental breakdowns and became cowardly and obedient. At a simulated parole board hearing, when Professor Zimbardo asked these prisoners if they would give up their remuneration for freedom, the vast majority said yes. But surprisingly, none came forward with the closing line I quit the experiment. In fact, this was actually a right they were granted before the experiment began. However, whether they played prisoners or guards, they not only got into their respective roles, but also internalized the roles they were playing. In other words, they were completely immersed in the created fictional situation, and identified with the role they played. Another fact that needs to be mentioned is that even Professor Zimbardo himself, the host of the experiment, and the police chief of the prison seemed to be fully immersed in his role. He allowed the guards to commit brutal acts without calling an end to the experiment within a reasonable frame of time. His girlfriend Christina who later became his wife visited the experiment, and accused him of participating in the horrible things that were happening to the students. It wasn't until then that Zimbardo realized the gravity of the situation. Ultimately, this originally two-week experiment was called off early just on the sixth day. Alright that's all for part one. Let's do a brief summary, we revealed the enormous influence a situation can have on people's behavior through a detailed description of the Stanford prison experiment. In less than a week, the formerly similar university students developed into two completely different groups, the weak and powerless prisoners versus the brutal guards. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now. Dir hat dieser Podcast gefallen? Dann klicke jetzt auf Abonnieren und empfehle ihn weiter. Bleib immer auf dem Laufenden und folge uns bei Twitter, Instagram und Facebook. Mehr Podcasts findest du auf meinpodcast.de.